message today, and I think it's going to be a short one. We say that, and then that doesn't always work out that way, but we'll see how that goes. But I think there's just really a few things the Lord has put on my heart to share with you today from his word, and I don't think it's going to be lengthy, but I think, I hope it'll be a blessing. Um, but the title of the message today is Trusting God, Trusting God, and couldn't we all use a lot more of that in our lives, amen? So let's pray. Father, we pray, not because it's the the time to do that, although it is, but not strictly because it's something that we schedule in. We pray because we do trust you, but we pray because we don't trust you like we should. Lord, we, we pray the prayer, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Lord, help me to believe more, trust you more. And we are aware when we pray a prayer like that, that sometimes the answer to it is not what we would expect, and it's not the way we would even choose, but, but the end result is increase in faith and a closer walk with you. So that's what we want. That's what we need. Help us today to trust you more. There may be some, there may be one or more in here that have never trusted you the first time for salvation. They've never looked to you to be saved and to know that you are the one who is trustworthy, that you are the one that loves them, died for them, rose again. I pray that today they could see that they can put their trust, their full confidence, their faith in the Savior. And for those that have, Lord, I I pray that we would see um, who you are to a greater extent than, than we've seen before, based on what your word shows us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Take a look there in Genesis 15 at verse 6. This is talking about Abraham. This is a statement concerning Abraham, but it's not just for him. It's not just a long time ago in the life of a man that lived far away that none of us have ever met, we've heard about, but never met. It's not, this isn't just for Abraham. The statement that's made here in Genesis 15, 6 is for all genuine believers. It's true for you if you're a Christian here today. In fact, if you're a Christian here today, this happened to you when you got saved. Let's take a look at it. Genesis 15, 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is the definition of faith right here, the definition of faith. Now, I want you to notice what it doesn't say, the things that Abraham didn't believe in or trust in. You know, the problem with most people, it's not that they believe in nothing. It's that they believe in the wrong thing. People are going to believe in something. People are going to put their confidence somewhere. And most people, many people, I should say, put their confidence in the wrong thing. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in religion. A lot of people think that you go to church and you're going to get a good dose of religion. I hope not. (laughs) I, I mean, I hope that's not what you get here. I hope you don't walk out of here religious. You might have walked in religious. I hope you kind of just leave that at the altar and and walk out of here with Christ. Because religion will not get anybody to heaven. One of the most religious mans that ever lived, Nicodemus, came to Christ and Christ said to him, he didn't say, I am impressed with your religion. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You are lost and your religion is not going to get you anywhere. Religion won't get you to heaven. In fact, ironically... Religion keeps a lot of people out of heaven. I'm talking about false religion. It doesn't say Abraham believed in religion. 
It doesn't say Abraham believed like a lot of people believe in a religion of their own making. They might say, oh, I don't have any, you know, I'm not going to church or anything like that. But my understanding is I'm going to try my best to be a good person. That's what most people believe. That, and, and really, that's a religion. That's a philosophy. That's a worldview most people have that aren't Christians. They say, yeah, um, I, I don't need necessarily the gospel. I just need to try really hard and that'll get God's attention. Maybe my good will outweigh my bad when I stand before him. That's a dangerous gamble, isn't it? Abraham doesn't say, you know what, I am putting all my confidence right here in, in myself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm a pretty good person, and he doesn't then rattle off a list of things he's never done. Oh, I've never done all these things. Surely I can go to heaven, right? That's not, that's not what the Bible says about getting to heaven. That's not what the Bible says about knowing God. It doesn't say Abraham put his confidence in doing a lot of good things. A lot of people, when they start getting convicted about their sinful condition, and we all, we're all sinners, we all need reconciliation that Brother Chris spoke about in the Sunday school class today. We all need that. We all need that. We are all, as it says, you know, the ground is level at the cross. We all belong on our faces before the cross, crying out for God's mercy. And you know what? He wants to give it to us. See, that's the blessing. He loves us. He wants to save. He doesn't want to judge. But it doesn't say Abraham put his confidence in doing a lot of good things, and I'm going to clean up my act and get things together. No, that's not biblical salvation. That's not biblical faith. That's a wrong place to put your confidence. What does it say? Look at it again. And he believed, what? In the Lord. Now, let me, let me caution you there. A lot of people say that, oh yeah, I'm, I'm with Abraham here. I believe in the Lord. Well, there's more to it than just kind of an intellectual, yeah, God's out there somewhere. There's a whole lot more to it. There, there was a relationship that Abraham had. In fact, you read the context here of chapter 15 and other uh, chapters previous to this and how God uh, and Abraham had a relationship. They had fellowship. This was real. This wasn't just, yep, God's got to be out there somewhere. No. God, God is out there. But God is real and personal and he wants to know you just like he knew. Abraham was called the friend of God. Did you know that you can be the friend of God? So Abraham believes in the Lord, but he doesn't believe in his opinion of the Lord. A lot of people have that. A lot of people have their, well, this is kind of how I think God is. Well, what if you're wrong? See, that, that's a problem, isn't it? Shouldn't we find out how God really is? How God has already taken the time to reveal himself in his word. He's gone to a great length to do that. Amen. We need to find out who he is, not who we think he is. Abraham didn't trust in his own opinion. A lot of people just stop there. Well, I think like this, and that's all I'm going to believe in, and that's kind of where I'm coming from. He didn't say, well, uh, you know, my faith is in my family's traditional view of God. A lot of people are stuck in family tradition, aren't they? A lot of people say, well, that's how my great-grandfather taught me about God, and I'll just go with what he says. What if he was wrong? I mean, what... Your great-grandfather, ultimately, when he stands before God and he realizes, oh, I was wrong, he would want you to read the Bible for yourself, right? He would want you to know what the Bible says about God. Abraham didn't say, uh, my confidence is in what everybody else says about God, what I've learned kind of secondhand. All those people that uh, hear about God secondhand or they go with what's popular or what their friends say about God, that whole crowd's not going to be standing next to you when you stand before God. We need to know God personally, individually. And the blessing is we can. We can, just like Abraham. Abraham didn't go with popular opinion. He believed in the Lord as the Lord truly is. And how did he know? How did he know the Lord as the Lord truly is? The answer is right here. 
God spoke to him. Abraham listened. Now you say, well, yeah, but, you know, in the Old Testament and, and to some extent in the New Testament before the Bible was finished in the form that we have it today, yeah, God spoke to them in, in audible form. You ever, as a young person especially, you ever had that thought? You're thinking, and, and usually it comes down when you're trying to make a decision, right? Lord, just tell me. I, I don't know what to do. Just speak to me audibly or, or about whatever. You want God to come and speak audibly. And, and we do. We, I'll admit we do want that. But let me, let me ask you this question. When, when you have that, that thought goes through your mind. Boy, I wish God would just speak to me audibly. Have you listened to what he's already said? Uh, oftentimes, we have ignored most of what he said in favor of an audible voice. If you hear an audible voice, uh, don't you think you might second-guess that the next day? Say, what, what was that really? But you don't have to second-guess what's in the Bible. Peter compares the Mount of Transfiguration, that wonderful experience he had, which was a genuine experience with Christ. He compares that to the Scripture, and he says, you know, um, that was a great experience, and that was truly with the Lord and all of that, but I don't trust my ability to measure truth based on just experience. I need what God says in His Word, because I can turn to it, point to it, and mark it down. God said this. And, and my emotional makeup or my uh, faltering memory about what happened in that experience isn't going to help me, but the Word of God will. See, Abraham's faith was in the Lord as the Lord is revealed right here in his word. And we need to know God that same way. Let's read it again, but let's pay special attention to the pronouns. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. You see what happened there? It wasn't just Abraham had faith, that's great. No, there's much more to it. This is the definition of faith. Let's, let's say better yet, this is the definition of biblical faith because people have weird ideas about what faith really is. Kind of weird, nebulous ideas. But this, we're talking about biblical faith. And where it says here that he, God, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Did you realize this is, a, this is an accounting term? Counted it. This is, it was credited to Abraham's account. Let me tell you something about Abraham. Abraham was an idol-worshiping sinner. Abraham was bankrupt. Abraham was unrighteous. Well, what made the difference in his life? How did he become like he is when we read it here? God made the difference. He believed in the Lord, and he was saved by grace through faith. By the way, all those things I said about Abraham are true about us before we come to God. We're unrighteous. We're sinners. We all need what Abraham needed. How was he made righteous? By believing God. Not by doing a bunch of works or being religious. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Ephesians 2.8 Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 That peace with God, that's talking about our legal standing before God. Justified by faith. A lot of people think they're justified by something else. No. We take God at his word. We trust him. Why are we justified that way though? Well, it's because it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through what he did on Calvary on our behalf. See, we're sinners. He's the Savior. We're unrighteous. He's righteous. When he died on Calvary, he said, I'm dying for your sins. Even the one you think God would never forgive you for, he died for that sin too. Even the one that nobody else knows about, he died for that sin too. And so when he died on Calvary and paid the price for everybody's sin that has ever lived, if one person, Abraham, or you or me, if we put our faith in him, he's taken our sins and he gives us what? His righteousness. 
So when we stand before God, we don't stand before God and say, okay, this is my name, and these are all the great things about, you better not do that. We stand before God, we stand before God in the name of Jesus. We stand before God with the righteousness of Jesus. It's not a righteousness that you can work up by turning over a new leaf or trying really hard. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, the Bible says when we try to do that, that just produces more unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. But we receive Christ, there's a transaction. When we trust him, when we trust the gospel message and stop trying to uh, reach God in other ways, humanistic ways, when we trust what God says about salvation, by faith, we have the righteousness of Christ to our account. But let me caution you, it is not faith that saves us. You hear that? It is not faith that saves us. In other words, don't put your faith in faith. Put your faith in Christ. Amen? The object, the object, you can have a whole lot of faith in the wrong thing. The object of your faith is so important. What are you trusting in right now? We don't know. We're not promised the next day of life on this earth. We're not promised the next, the next breath, really, the next heartbeat. We don't know. We do have the right now. And right now, what are you trusting in? That's so important. Acts 16.31, remember the Philippian jailer? Remember he, he saw a difference in Paul and Silas's life? He saw a difference in their lives, and he, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't tell him, well, it's a long process. Uh, start making lists. He didn't say, get out pencil and paper and make two lists. First, make a list of all the things you're going to stop doing. Make a list of all the things you're going to start doing. Then you ought to think about going to church. You ought to think about getting baptized. You ought to think about this and that. No. He didn't get, but most people, when, they, when they're convicted, when they say, I need to know God, what do they do? They start making their lists. Get rid of that. What did he say to him? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And so what did he mean, and thy house? What he meant was this. Look, if you get saved, people in your family are going to see it, and there'll be a change in their lives. They'll see, wow, this person's different. Like Chris was talking about his brother that got saved, and they said, this isn't the same guy. God's made a difference. When you get saved... You don't get religion. You get Jesus. And when you get Jesus, there's a difference. Yeah. Amen? There's all the difference. In Noah's day, you know how, how they would phrase that? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Noah's day, what they would say is, get in the ark. How easy is that? Get in the ark. And some people didn't. Nope, I'd rather stay out here. I'm doing my own thing. And they drowned. Get in the ark. See, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we see Genesis 15, 6 is the definition of biblical faith. But let me ask you a question. How do you know when someone has it? How do you know when someone has biblical faith? Now, we take uh, an honest testimony, someone's verbal testimony, to say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I've trusted Christ, and we take that. Uh, and we appreciate that. But how do you see that in their lives? See, what speaks louder to the world? Our verbal testimony or our nonverbal testimony? Amen. Our walk. Our walk. And with that in mind, go to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Our walk is important. We've talked about faith in Christ, which is unto salvation. But what about that faith in Christ after you've been saved? What about your daily walk as a Christian, trusting God more today than you trusted him yesterday? We're going to talk about that. Only God can see biblical faith in the heart, right? You can't look at somebody's heart. I mean, you can kind of see it on their countenance. And, and, uh, but again, even countenance, that's some of the overflowing of it, isn't it? Only God can look in the heart and say, there's biblical faith. 
Only God can do that. Well, where do we see biblical faith? In the walk, right? And, that, and by the way, that's one of the ways we witness to the world that the Bible is true. By our walk, not pretending, uh, but being genuine, being honest, an honest Christian walk before the world. That's what they need to see. They don't need to see a Sunday crowd. They need to see a Christian. What's in the heart will overflow, good or bad, right? What's on the inside will come out. In fact, James chapter 2, we don't have to turn there uh, right now, but you're probably familiar with the passage. James deals with faith, but he also talks about the evidence of that faith, doesn't he? So, hey, faith is genuine. If it's a real thing, there will be physical evidence. Now, James refers to that as works. And you can summarize all that as your walk. And, and you can think about it, you know, real faith changes the heart. What James is saying is it ought to change the life too. If the heart's been changed, everything's changed. And so the root produces the fruit. And in the book of James where he talks about these things, you could think about James chapter 2 this way. Faith works. Faith works. Or you can think about it this way. The foundation of works, the, the outworking, the walk of a Christian is faith. Is faith. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by Christ. But after you're saved, there's some work to do. And there's a walk to walk. It's walking uh, close to the Savior. Now, in Abraham's life, we see the definition of biblical faith. Now we're going to see the outworking. We're going to see faith in action, kind of the demonstration of it in uh, Genesis chapter 22. So very quickly, let's go to verse, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him up there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Genesis 15 that we looked at earlier is what faith is. Genesis 22 is what faith looks like. And we're going to see it in Abraham's life. But we see something first about biblical faith that we don't like to look at. And that is that biblical faith is tested. This is the test of biblical faith. You have the genuine article. We don't like tests, do we? I mean, you know, I, I don't care. By the way, the word tempt here is the idea of testing, not tempting in a negative way, testing. We don't like, no matter how young or old you are, you don't ever like a test, right? Uh, young people really are baffled by what's the point of these tests I have to take? And uh, when, we, when we administer tests to people, we're usually um, trying to figure out if they have studied, you know, if they, if they know the material. So we as teachers, we're trying to figure out something or we're trying to gain some benefit as a teacher. Well, God didn't need, God knew, God knows everything. So this test in Abraham's life was not for God's benefit, right? Well, then who's going to benefit from it? Abraham. Abraham. Although it's going to be painful. I mean, how many of you have gone through tests that are painful? And I'm not just talking about school, I'm talking about life. But you get to the other side of that and you say, I didn't understand it then, but now I see what God was doing, see? And all I could do then was just look up to him, and maybe that's all I should do from now on, see? Why does God put us to the test and put our faith to the test? It's part of the learning process, isn't it? When he tests our faith, growth and maturity. There's a growth and maturity in faith. The Bible talks about from faith to faith. There's a growth and maturity in faith that you can't get any other way. You can't get any other way but this way, but this way. You say, oh, I've already trusted God. 
Well, let me tell you something. Through the test, you'll trust him more. You'll learn to trust him more. I already know God is faithful. Through the test, guess what? You'll experience his faithfulness. It won't just be a head knowledge. It'll be, oh no, God is faithful. He got me through that valley. He walked with, with me through that valley. And he can walk through it with you. God is not punishing Abraham. God is perfecting Abraham. Remember that when you're put to the test. That's the purpose of the test. Perfecting. Go to verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, early, and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. The next thing we see about faith, we're only going to see very quickly today four things. We're already on number two, okay? Uh, we've seen the test of biblical faith. Now the next thing we're going to see is the obedience of biblical faith. And let me tell you something, that's the right response to the test. I don't know about you, but you look at verse 3, he rose up early. If I had to face a day or a series of days, it's going to take him a while to get there. If I had to face what Abraham was about to face, do you think I would set my alarm clock for that next morning? Yeah, I'll get right on that <laughs> eventually. I'm sleeping in. I'm dragging my feet. I can't find my shoes on purpose. But I'm going to tell you something. I am not getting up early except by the grace of God working in my heart. And that's what was happening here. Abraham, Abraham not only gets up early. You notice there in verse 3, he has helpers. He gets supplies together. There's not going to be an excuse. Oh, we left. What did we forget? You know, you're always forgetting something. We got to go back. He wasn't trying to sabotage the whole thing. Um, Abraham was serious about the will of God, even though this must have been breaking his heart. This is a, probably the hardest test he had to go through. But he was serious about the will of God. Now, we call that kind of obedience, you know what we call it? Faithfulness. But faithfulness has taken on, people have a, a misunderstanding of faithfulness, especially in, sometimes in independent Baptist churches. Faithfulness is not uh, being a cookie-cutter Christian. Faithfulness is not being a yes man. Faithfulness is not, uh, you know, always uh, pretending everything's okay when it's not and just doing the right thing even though you don't want to. Faithfulness is not any of that. Faithfulness literally means to be full of faith. To be full of faith so much so that it overflows. I can't help but want to do the will of God because I know God, he knows me. I don't understand why he's putting me through this or allowing me to go through this, but I know this, he can be trusted. That's faithfulness, overflowing. See, real faith hears the word of God, like Abraham heard the word of God. Real faith hears the word of God, but then real faith says yes to the will of God. That's faithfulness. The saying yes, the saying yes, the outworking, the obedience of biblical faith. Go to verse 4. Number 3 that we're going to look at is the perseverance of biblical faith. Perseverance. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. I've never really noticed this until recently. You know, you read verse 3 and you think, okay, wait. They traveled for how long already? Three days. They must be there. No, it's still, it, it's not, he doesn't look up and say, oh, there it is. He says, yeah, there it is, and it's still a long way. I don't know how long it took him to get there, but it wasn't this quick trip. And he had all this time to think about it and all this time to agonize over what he, you ever go, now three days is not a long time, but it is a long time with this on your heart. You ever go through something and it, it's like, it, it's hard to go through three minutes just thinking about it. 
And you think, man, it just three days seems like forever. God, is it ever, is, does this valley go all the way to the edge of the earth and I just fall off at some point? Is, that the, is, is this going to be it? And it just feels like forever. He had gone three days and they weren't even close. But what does he do? He says, oh, man, this is too far. I'm going back. No, he perseveres. He perseveres. Why? And it's only because, not because Abraham, this super saint, you gotta, I'm not saying today you got to be like Abraham. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying you need the God of Abraham. I'm saying we need to know God like Abraham knew God. And why did Abraham persevere? It's simply this, and it's going to be true in our lives too. He believed God. He believed God. He trust, God, I, I've never been through anything like this, but you can still be trusted here. I know you love me. You care for me. I have a lot of questions, but I know uh, the important thing is you can be trusted now. And this was not a fun trip, but Abraham doesn't make his decisions in life. This is very important. Abraham is not making his decisions in life based on how he feels about it. How many of us fall into that trap? How we feel about it. Now, we're emotional creatures. God made us that way, but our feelings are not the best measurement of, of everything. I mean, don't ever, the feel, if you're talking about a train, uh, the engine car is not your emotions. Your emotions are somewhere hooked up in the back, maybe the caboose. You know, it's part of us, but the engine car, that, that can't be your emotions. It needs to be faith. Faith drives the engine based on what God says. The perseverance of biblical faith. Look at verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now in verse 4, we saw the perseverance of faith in that it's a, it's a keep on keeping on, even though you don't, you don't want to. It's, faith, is, uh, faith always goes forward. Faith is a forward motion. There in verse 4, he's, he's going to keep on keeping on. But in verse 5, we also see the perseverance of faith. What we see now is a little bit more about what, what is fueling his commitment here. Um, what is he doing? He's leaning on the promises of God. And how do I know that? Well, there's other scriptures we could compare to this, which I'll reference, make reference to. But what's interesting right here in the context is what he says. I mean, now you do the math. He, he says here, I and the lad will go yonder. Okay, we know that. And then, and then we'll both come again. Now, wait a minute. Time out. If I do the math, Abraham and Isaac, as far as Abraham understands right now, they're going up. Isaac is going to become a burnt offering. So when I do the math, two go up, one comes back. But Abraham says to the, uh, the servants here, we'll, we'll both be back, guys. We're, we're both, I and the lad, we're going to worship, and we will come back to you again. Now, how did Abraham know that? See, we'll, we'll talk about that. Think about Isaac, though. Isaac was not just a son, was not just a son, but a son whose offspring was supposed to be a blessing to the entire world, right? Way back in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through your seed, and Isaac's going to be the promised one, and so on. Um, in fact, through Isaac would come Christ. But here's a problem. Isaac's not married. Isaac has no descendants yet. And Isaac, as far as Abraham understands, is about to be killed. So, question is, how can God keep this promise? How can God do that? It says over in Hebrews eleven nineteen 19, that Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Resurrection. Say, well, I'm going to do this. I don't understand why. We're going to trust God, and God's going to raise him up. And the promises of God will still be fulfilled. Because he says, I and the lad. That's the perseverance of biblical faith. You don't have all the answers, but you still persevere because you know the one who is the answer. Now as we close, 
Last thing we're going to look at today is the foundation. We've talked about the test of biblical faith, the obedience of biblical faith, perseverance of biblical faith. Now we get right down to the bedrock. We get right down to the foundation that fuels all the rest of it. The foundation of biblical faith. Let's look now in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Very important. Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Isaac has the most important question of the hour, right? Um, Abraham has probably several other unanswered questions that are going through his heart and mind. But faith, faith is not based on what we don't know. Faith is based on what we do know. Now, it seems silly, doesn't it, to say it that way? Well, faith is based on what you do know, of course. Well, not so obvious to a lot of people. A lot of people define faith as you got to just take that leap, you know? A lot of people say faith is leaping in the dark. You know what biblical faith is? Walking in the light. Amen? Don't leap in the dark, please. Don't go do that. Walk in the light. God has given us the light. I mean, the light can't be any brighter in this room, but when we do this, the word of God is open. We, he's, he's, he's given us a lot of direction. Whatever you say, well, yeah, but I've got this one thing that I'm all, I'm all you know, I, I don't know what to do about, and, and how's God going to, it, was it as hard as what Abraham's going through here? Maybe, maybe it is, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, are, are you willing to hear his voice? Because I can, tell, I can promise you, you'll get the answer in here. Now, now, all your questions may not be answered in their entirety, to the 10th degree necessarily, but you'll get the answer that you need. You'll get what God has for you if you'll be willing to humble yourself and listen to what he has to say. At this point, there's a lot that Abraham does not know, right? What does he know? Well, he already told us in verse 8. What does he know? He knows this, God will provide. He knows that. And, and what will God provide? A lamb. A lamb. Now, I don't know how much Abraham knew about um, Calvary, how much he understood about Calvary. But I'll tell you this, we read a passage in um, Galatians 3 earlier, remember, where it talked about the gospel being preached to Abraham. I don't know how much about Calvary he knew, but I, but I know this, he knew enough to believe the gospel in seed form. He knew enough to look forward to the Christ who was coming and put his faith in that one. He knew enough to be saved. And this is the foundation of biblical faith. What is that? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. That's the foundation. He is the foundation. As we said earlier, He is the object of our faith. Now, as we get ready to wrap up, uh, one thing I want to mention. You think about um, the many ways that Isaac points to Christ, reminds us of Christ. He's spoken of as a, a type of Christ, kind of symbolic in this passage. Let's just, uh, there are many more we could mention. I'll just mention a few. Um, Isaac was a promised child. 25 years before conception, it was prophesied that Isaac would be conceived and he'd be the promised seed and so on. He's a promised child. Thousands of years before Christ was conceived, uh, it was prophesied that he would come and be that promised child. 
Um, Isaac had a miraculous birth, right? Remember how old his parents were? I mean, I, I, you know, Abraham was 75 years old when he was given the news. And he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah was in her 90s. That's a miraculous birth. Jesus also had a miraculous birth. His parents hadn't even come together. Jesus, had, Jesus was born of a virgin. Miraculous birth. Isaac is the beloved son. Jesus is the beloved son. Isaac, here's one we don't often think about. Isaac is a submissive son. We have reason to believe, uh, based on the chain of events since Isaac's birth and, and this passage, that he wasn't just a little boy at this time. He was uh, at least um, maybe an maybe a older teenager, maybe a young man. And, and here's the thing about what they're going through. At some point, when Abraham is tying him up, right, the light bulb may go on for Isaac, and he may say, oh, you know, I, I didn't want to do this today, <laughs> And he, he could, Isaac was probably big enough to overpower his hundred or however old, you know, Abraham was at this time. He was old. Isaac could have either, either overpowered him or just ran away. But Isaac submitted to the will of the Father, and so did Jesus. Jesus submitted to the will of the Heavenly Father. And then lastly, you'll notice there in verse um, 6, Isaac carried the wood. And Jesus, at least for a, a portion of his journey to Calvary, he carried his cross. It's worth noting that the region of Moriah, where they're at, is where the temple would later be built by Solomon, the same area, same exact area. And in that temple, the blood of the lamb would be shed and would point to the coming Christ. And what's also interesting about Moriah is in that general vicinity would be where Mount Calvary would be set up as well, the same area. Let's close out and be reminded of how kind of this ends on the bright side. Verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son, and the angel of the Lord called out to him, called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God seeing thou hast withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And then notice verse 13 as a reminder of, of Christ, who is our substitute, who took our uh, death sentencing. Look at verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket. You ever thought about the fact that the ram was behind him? Abraham had no knowledge of this substitutionary ram until when? Until God told him. And a lot of times we'll go through something and boy, it, it might even be right, it might not be behind us, it could be right in front of us. And we don't see it until God opens our eyes to what it is. But that's how God works in our lives. He's so patient with us, gradually helping us to mature in faith, just like he did in Abraham's life. Behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh can also be translated, God will see to it. He'll see to it. In other words, it can be translated or understood, God will provide. God will provide. And God does. When we come to Christ, we're baby Christians, we're newborns. All we know is to trust him for salvation. Guess what happens as we walk with him? He teaches us how to trust him 
for more. He teaches us how to trust him. When I say more, I mean everyday life, everything. Not just, oh, I'm going to heaven one day, great. No, I need God right now, today, every day, every step of the way. I need to trust him more than I did yesterday. I need to grow in faith. Biblical faith is faith in God as he is revealed in his word. And so the question we end with today is, are you trusting him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how simple it it all is. Uh, We think of the picture of the ark. Get in the ark. The ark pointing to Christ. Come to Christ. How simple it is. Lord, if there's any today that have trusted in something else or someone else or maybe many other things or maybe in them just themselves. Or Lord, help people to turn away from all false Christs and turn away unto the true Christ, the Christ of the Bible. They may have righteousness accredited, accounted to their account. Lord, we pray for any that need to know thee, that they will recognize that they can call upon you. And then, Lord, for those who have come unto thee by faith, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you more. And this we ask in Jesus' name.